Hello and welcome back to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm Krista Ritma, your host, and I am back from Nepal. Um, for everyone asking how it was, it was a big experience. I have not really begun to process it yet. I can't seem to process it. It was beautiful. A friend said to me yesterday, I don't need to ask how Nepal was because I can see it on you. So Needless to say, it was a life-changing experience. And while I was there, I got the word from my producer that Gay Hendricks, my guest today, had agreed to do the show. And Gay is a hero of mine, and I don't use that word lightly. He's written books, um, The Big Leap, The Corporate Mystic, and about 40 other best-selling books. He's an expert in business and relationships and relationships in business. (laughs) So basically all of my favorite things. And I have been quoting him and using his words um, for a while now. So it was a really big deal to get him on this show and a big deal in my little career that I am in to get to speak with somebody and interview someone that I respect and look up to so much. So needless to say, I was very excited to do this interview. I think it's the perfect interview to come back from Nepal and put out there. Of course, this was a beautiful conversation. He's as authentic as I ever thought he would be. We talk a lot about business, a lot about relationships. He gives me some really good advice, tells some really beautiful stories. He's been walking the talk now for over 30 years, and it's beautiful to see those mantras and those methods and those tools in action over such a long period of time. And what a beautiful and inspiring life that he has created Um, walking the talk and practicing what he preaches. So I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I can't wait to have him on again, and I hope you enjoy it too. Gay Hendricks has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974, Gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He's written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as The Big Leap, The Joy of Genius, Conscious Loving, and Conscious Loving Ever After, the last two co-authored with his mate of 40 years, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. He's also a mystery novelist with a series of books featuring the Tibetan Buddhist private detective Tenzing Norbu, as well as a new mystery series featuring a Victorian-era London detective, Sir Errol Hyde. The third in the series is titled The Final Adventure of Sir Errol Hyde. Gay has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and others. I have to say that's probably the most impressive introduction I have read on this podcast so far. Welcome to the show, Gay. Oh, thank you very much, Krista. Really good to be with you. I'm so happy to have you here. I was just saying before we got uh, started recording that I this is the first episode coming back from Nepal. The podcast has been on a short hiatus, and the two things I was most looking forward to are feeding. My uh, best friend has a six-month-old, and she started eating food, real food while um, I was away. So feeding her and interviewing you 
probably the highlights of my month. So I'm <laughs> very, very, much. very happy to have you here. Um, and let's just start by how are you? What's happening with you? What's happening in your world today? Oh, well, today is a perfect example of my life because um, this morning I woke up around 4.30, which I typically do, and I do my writing early in the morning. So after I get up and feed my two little cats, we have two British short hairs, um, and uh, they're named Allie and Greta. After I feed them and I uh, get started, uh, I meditate first and uh, then I get started writing usually around 5.30. My wife likes to sleep in until around 7.30 or 8. And so uh, I spend from 5.30 to 7.30 or 8 whenever she wakes up uh, doing my writing. And then for the rest of the day, I just do other stuff. I do some business stuff. Uh, today, I, uh, well, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to the gym for an hour at 9 o'clock and do resistance training. And I've been doing that for many, many years. And it really helps keep my body in good shape. Um, and then I uh, came back here and had a massage. And then uh, my wife made me a fabulous salad for lunch. And so I had a salad with Katie and then uh, jumped on to here. And then I'm going to play golf after I finish with you a little bit later on this afternoon. So uh, that's a, uh, I get a lot of exercise. I do a lot of physical stuff. My wife and I ride bikes all the time. And so it's kind of a big part of our lives to stay physically tuned up. And so uh, right now I'm feeling fantastic and uh, kind of buzzed from just uh, finishing a great meal and having a massage beforehand. So, And also I'm getting a chance to talk to you about the things I like to talk about most. So uh, what a day. What a great answer. I just have the biggest smile on my face because every time I, I've listened to about I don't know, 20 plus podcasts and interviews with you um, trying to prep for this podcast. And you're so passionate and just excited about life. Like just the way you, I went to the gym today also, but that's just not how I would describe it. And it's one of my favorite things about listening to you speak. I'm listening to the podcast I've probably heard you tell maybe the same story over 10 times. <laughs> and instead of skipping through it, I always listen to it because you tell it with such passion. It's like I'm hearing it for the first time. And you've you've done this work now for so long. Do you ever get tired or burnt out? Like, How do you stay so passionate day in and day out? I actually don't ever get burnt out. Um, I think, well, I'll tell you, I haven't really been in a bad mood or anything like that in about 40 years. Um, and early on in my career, I came to, you know, when I was in my 30s, I locked in on my life purpose. And I feel so blessed that I figured out what my life purpose was fairly young in life, because I have people here all the time who are 50, 60, 70 years old and still haven't quite figured out their life purpose. But when I was in my 30s, I sat down one day and I just spent an hour thinking about what am I really here for? What turns me on more than anything else? And I came up with this one phrase that's been echoing around in my mind for the last 40 years, which is, I. it's in the big leap too, by the way, a, a version of it, which is, I expand every day in love, abundance, and creativity as I inspire other people to do the same. And since I've been doing that for more than half my life now, 
I really haven't had a dull moment. As long as I am somewhere where I can think about that or talk about that or uh, be working on those issues in myself or helping other people with them, uh, I've taught about 2,500 seminars now and classes when I was a university professor. And, you know, I saw a lot of burned out teachers and burned out professors. And I think it was because they'd they'd somehow got lost from their real true life purpose and they were just going mm-hmm. through the motions. And uh, I'm glad I figured out that one fairly early on because for more than half my life now, I've been passionately engaged with people in having leading edge kind of conversations where they're having breakthroughs all the time. And so I've used to do a lot of corporate consulting. I don't do that much anymore just because I'm not enjoying the travel as much these days. Um, But I've also worked with four or 5,000 couples with Katie. And it doesn't really matter what the area is. As long as I can be helping people make breakthroughs in that area, that's the thing that Mm -hmm. I love best. It's so powerful and it's so inspiring to hear. I'm 31 and, um, you know, to find your passion, just hearing you say that, that's exactly what you do do. And that's exactly what you've done for me um, in reading your books and in listening to your interviews. It's just every time, I usually do it when I'm on the treadmill, actually. And um, every time I, you know, turn it off, I like run up to my computer and I start writing and it's, it's really inspiring. Um, I'm, I've hired people after reading your books. Um, I'm constantly quoting you in the, the different zones of competence, excellence, genius. Um, and it's just really powerful. Um, but I do have a question about writing all of these books. So I'm in a place in my business right now where I feel like I'm I don't know if, if it's that I'm changing my mind or I'm evolving or or what exactly it is, but I'm thinking that maybe something I said a year ago or two years ago, I actually don't really agree with anymore. And with writing so many books that span so many years, do you ever find yourself not agreeing with or having sort of a different opinion than something you wrote about 20 years ago? Uh, no, I... I- what I do sometimes when I when I read some of my old books or when I yeah. look at some of the things I wrote 30 or 40 years ago, the basic ideas are I, I don't have any disagreement with, um, but I wish I'd expressed them a little bit better, you know, because mm. I'm a much better writer now because I've been writing books. My first book came out in 1975, and so I've been writing books for many years. And of course, like anything else, you know, just if I were any other skill, if you do it every day that long, it gets easier and better and more vivid and that kind of thing. So sometimes, like when I read uh, my book, Learning to Love Yourself, which has been out there for uh, since 1982 and gone through all sorts of different editions and that kind of thing, when I, when I look at that, I thought, oh, man, if I'd known a few million people were going to read that book, I would have sure. <laughs> yeah. I would I would have put another chapter in here, and I would have done this, and I, you know, because now it's so much easier for me to write than it was forty years ago. Right. Yeah, I've I've been asking because I was actually reading when I was reading the Corporate Mystic. It it was written twenty plus years ago now twenty three years ago, and it felt to me like it could have been written yesterday. Um, especially like the spiritual aspect of people high up in business. And it sort of made me start thinking, being knowing that I was going to talk to somebody that's been working with people for so long and writing about the same topic for so long. 
is consciousness actually evolving is my question. Like, do you, after reading that book, there were a lot of concepts in there that I thought were like brand new that sort of CEOs were just starting to introduce and reading that, I was like, wow, this was happening in the late nineties. And my question is, have you seen over the last four decades of doing this work, decision-making actually evolving or changing how people run businesses, behave in their relationships, or is it still very much the same? I think it's changing in a positive direction. When I first started going into, um, I think I did my first corporate consulting gig in the mid-1970s, and trying at that time to talk to people about even something like emotional intelligence. You know, Mm -hmm. if you bring up emotional intelligence now, in a, in a business or in a corporate environment, people will nod their heads and say, yeah, that's a useful thing. But, you know, it was only 20, 30 years ago when the first book on that came out. So, gosh, it's much easier today because there's so much more knowledge about deeper things. And it's not always easy because a lot of people get where they get to in the business world by having very crystallized, forceful personality aspects that don't necessarily make them very happy as human beings. And so I've seen a lot of that too, where people can kind of blaze their way up through an organization by still being very oblivious to lots of social and emotional things that are going on around them. But I have also noticed that, um, you know, the the further up at the top you get an organization, sometimes you, you meet people with crystallized egos. But what I've found more than anything else is that the further you go toward the top, the more expansively people think, the more open-hearted they are, the more in touch with spiritual principles they are. And that's the thing that really excites me. I don't think we need more spiritual beliefs on this planet. We need more people acting in their regular lives out of their spiritual beliefs. That's one of my favorite things that you actually talk about, and I'm glad you said that, is I read or listened somewhere that you said that um, some of the most spiritual people that you've come in contact with are high-level business people, and they don't actually identify as spiritual leaders. And I think that's something, a transition I'm actually working on in my business is I am deeply spiritual, and for a long time I was trying to keep it separate, and then I went the route of really saying that I was a spiritual person and just trying to find that balance and then deciding, okay, I'm only going to work with spiritual people like healers or astrologers or musicians or whatever. And then when I heard you say that, it almost gave me like permission. Like you don't have to identify as a spiritual leader to be a spiritual person. And oftentimes I find too that the people that are actually the most authentically spiritual aren't out in the world trying to make money that way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really appreciate that, that whole thought of the, and it makes me have a lot of faith, I guess, in business and in how the world is being run that the higher up you do get, the more open-hearted and spiritual and sort of open people are. And I think that's one of my favorite conversations to have. Um, and just, it's exciting to know that that's what's happening on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, it's really exciting. There's another big transformation we've noticed over the past 40 years or so since we've been doing seminars is that when we first started, it was always skewed toward women participants. There would be like sometimes Mm -hmm. 60 to 40 
or sometimes even 75, 25 um, women outpopulating men at our relationship seminars. But now it's almost 50-50 and sometimes skews in some of our seminars even slightly toward more men being there than women. And I think that's a really hopeful sign because, you know, men have been running the world now for 5,000 years and we've been uh, mucking it up a little bit sometimes. And so I want to get more feminine input into the world. I think that's one of the most exciting things that can happen. And to do that, I think men have to kind of step up in a way and open themselves up to new ways of communicating so that um, I, I don't think, you know, if you look back over the past 5,000 years, men have been mostly the people who are the president of this or the king of that and everything like that. And I don't think we're coming into an era where it's going to flip over and suddenly we're going to have 5,000 years of women in charge. There was a time back before 5,000 years ago when a goddess era, when women were much more prominent in the fields of politics and religion and that kind of thing. And then it flipped over for the past 5,000 years into a male-dominated kind of thing. But now I think what's going to happen in the next millennium or two is it's not going to be male or female heroes. It's going to be the relationship between us all. That's going to be the hero of the next period of evolution. I love that. I love that so much. And I think it's something I'm thinking about a lot too, as running my own business. I think, you know, there's this there's this piece of feminism that to me is like excluding the male right now. And we've almost taken it a little bit too far in the sense that being feminist and doesn't mean stepping up into a role. I'm very controlling. I'm very type A. I have a lot of masculine energy. And what I'm learning is actually to run my business with both is to soften. And actually Yana, um, who we have in common, that's how we met. Um, she's teaching me this. Um, I can still be strong and I can still have that masculine energy, but also soften and bring the femininity into it so that we don't lose either one. Like it has to be a balance. It, it always has to be a balance. And um, I think that's really a beautiful way of putting it. Um, my next question for you, I have two more questions on the business side of things. I'm really interested in how you run your business. And um, one thing that I heard you say with successful people is there's this fear or resistance that comes up is this fear of outshining other people. And I've witnessed this. I've seen this. I do a lot of marketing coaching, but with that, a lot of my clients joke that I'm a resistance coach um, because <laughs> mostly I'm just helping people overcome resistance, remind them of their gifts, remind them they can fly. But my question is around the ego. So if I'm not afraid and if I just think that I'm the best and I'm not concerned with outshining other people, doesn't that just make me an asshole? Like, where is the <laughs> where is the balance there in, you know, owning it but not? And I'm asking for me and for my clients and for my listeners is how do you sort of own your gifts but not become one of these sort of like weird egocentric influencers that we're seeing? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Well, I think that if you look underneath and inside the personality of one of those kind of flamboyant egomaniac kind of people that um, that you see a lot in the um, in the world, you'll see that a lot of that persona comes out of fear, mm-hmm. and that's why it doesn't look good and play very well for the long term. 
um, that some people assemble that kind of persona on top of a lot of old undealt with and undigested and unsorted through feelings of anger, shame, fear, those kinds of things. But I think authenticity, when you're authentic about all of your feelings, when you're open to the fullness of yourself, what happens is you shine naturally in a way that other people get inspired by to shine also. So it's, it's when we talk about in the big leap, overcoming the fear of outshining, what's usually happened is people have turned down or toned down their light early on to adapt in school or in the family they're in. And so what needs to happen then is us to allow ourselves to flourish and allow ourselves to shine in our own particular way, not from any space of fear or lack, but simply as a celebration of our essence, who we really are. I love that. I love that so much. And I think I preach about that a lot. I mean, my company is called Authentic Audience. And the word authenticity, though, it has become a bit of a buzzword these days is probably the most important thing to me. Um, and I continuously realize that when I'm looking at people or listening to people that I actually really don't agree with and don't like, um, but their authenticity shines through. And I often find myself um, even this is a terrible example and I hate using this example, but I was listening to something that Trump said once and it was horrible what he said. And when he, when he finished, I was like, man, that was authentic. And then that's sort of when I realized how important that was to me. Um, when I completely can disagree with what someone's saying, but I really respect, um, the authenticity and how they carry themselves. And I think it's really important. And, um, I really appreciate, I mean, I appreciate every answer you've ever given <laughs> anything, but I especially appreciate that. And speaking of working with these really successful people, um, I, one question I had for you in your, in your business, because now you've been able to basically create a very successful business, coaching people in their business and writing about helping people in their businesses. But now you have a business doing that and working with all of these CEOs and really talented high-level people. Is there a big takeaway that you have had or a lesson that you've learned from somebody that you've then gone to apply in how you carry yourself in your own business? Oh, that's such a great question. I, I've had the pleasure of working uh, uh, the first person that popped into my mind when you asked that question was Michael Dell that I had the opportunity to do a lot of coaching with back in the nineties. Uh, and I have learned so much from him at the time I was probably, you know, 50 years old and he was 30, but I learned so much about how to keep things simple and how to focus on things from working on, um, from coaching him and also coaching other executives at Dell. A few others come to mind also, but I just want to highlight the simplicity of things, mm. how to keep things simple, how not to let things get complicated. Um, and I, to this day, I try to organize my activities as simply as I possibly can. When I first, back in the 90s, I, we'd had a lot of success and being on Oprah with our book, Conscious Loving and everything. Suddenly, you know, we really didn't need to work anymore unless we wanted to. And so it really allowed us to focus in on just doing what we most love to do. And at the time, we 
had a lot more stuff than we had now. We had a building uh, and we had a mountain house and a townhouse. And so we had a lot of stuff and several different cars and that kind of thing. And one day, my wife and I looked at each other and said, wait a minute, the tail is wagging the dog here suddenly, you know, because we were spending all our time thinking about real estate and that kind of thing. And, you know, so we started simplifying actually 20 some years ago and we started selling off things and that kind of thing. And now we have one home that we just love and it sits on an acre of land instead of a ton of land like we used to have. And it has, it's, it's, I, when we picked it, I said, I want three things. I want it to be on one story. I want to be able to walk from one end to the other of it in 15 seconds. I don't know why I picked that, but <laughs> 15 seconds. Oh, I know why, because I, I figured out that a phone rings four times. It takes 15 seconds. And I wanted to be able to walk to the other end of the house if the phone happened to be there. Because we before that, we lived in this gigantic house in Colorado that was like this old Victorian 100 years old, but it was like a castle. And so if the phone rang, this was in the days before cell phones, if the phone rang, I'd never be able to get upstairs to answer it in time. So, and then I had a third thing that I wanted to be able to ride my bike or walk to town. It needed to be mm. near enough to town. And so we found this magical house here in Ojai, California, and we um, have been here for 20 years now. And it's, it's an example for me of how to keep life really simple and keeping it from wandering off into the more and more complex. Like I would walk around the, like with, uh, at Motorola, I used to do consulting there and I would walk around with their, um, with the boss and, uh, I would always notice he would be simplifying things. People would come up to him with some com complicated problem and he would come out with one sentence. He would say, okay, go figure out what George really wants. And all of a sudden people would go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And they would right. have de developed some gigantic drama, but underneath it well, was a 10 second communication. In fact, that's what we teach in a lot of our seminars, how to, communicate the essential thing in 10 seconds because there you know just about everything important that you'll ever hear in your life takes 10 seconds or less like will you marry me yes i will you know that's 7 seconds not even 10 seconds but that certainly changed my life 40 years ago when i met Katie Oh, I love that. And it perfectly goes into my next question because I wanted to talk about Katie next. Um, and the biggest thing that the advice that you just gave, I think you said something, you were telling a story on a podcast and it changed, it really changed my whole mindset. Um, I'm one of those people that it's never enough. Um, and my partner is constantly reminding me when I'm dissatisfied, he's like, well, I've known you a long time and you've never actually been satisfied with anything. <laughs> and I know that that actually is a more deep rooted thing in me feeling unworthy and me feeling not enough. And I've done a lot of work and I know where it comes from, but it's still something that pops up all the time. Like it's not enough. And what you said, you told this really beautiful story about you and Katie early on changing your mindset from um, having enough to feeling like you have plenty. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could just briefly retell that story again, because I don't want to butcher it. And it really shifted something for me and it's shifted how I think about everything. And I think it ties really nicely into that advice that you were just giving about simplicity. 
Well, what happened was, and I'm trying to estimate that I think it was around 1981. So this is probably long before you were born. Um, but in 1981, on a snowy evening in Colorado, I was pedaling on my exercise bike uh, one evening. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see Katie in the next room over, which was kind of our little home office. And she was in there um, writing checks or doing something with the, the checkbook. And so I'm pedaling along. And I had echoing around in my mind a conversation we'd been having about, do we have enough money to get through to the end of the month? Okay, so that was what we were discussing. And as I was pedaling along on my exercise bike, I realized I'd been hearing that conversation since I was a kid. In the background when I was a kid was always, do we have enough to get through to the end of the month? And as I was pedaling on my exercise bike, here I was at the time in my mid-30s, and I realized, my goodness, am I perpetuating that same conversation now? What if I changed that conversation in my mind, and would that have an effect on what happened in real life? At the time, by the way, there were not no books about affirmations, really, or anything like that. So this was a kind of a wild, crazy thought that popped into my mind, okay? The idea of changing my mindset would affect my life. And I know it sounds simplistic now, but I hadn't really occurred to me before. And so I very excitedly went in to Katie, and I said, say, I just had this big realization and blah, blah, blah. I told her about it. And I said, what if we changed the conversation in our relationship to a completely different conversation? Instead of anything about lack, let's change it to what we want and what we're committed to getting. And she said, wow, you know, she lit up because at the time she was kind of hunched over the checkbook, writing checks and looking kind of stressed out. And so we... We got very excited about that, and we adjourned to a restaurant to have dinner while we plotted out this thing we just had. And uh, I, I tell the story. Ironically, the name of the restaurant was Poor Richards <laughs> in Colorado Springs. And so, uh, but that didn't affect us. We sat down and we actually wrote out what we wanted to create with money, rather than having anything to do with. Uh, the past. Okay. And so we came up with this wild and crazy idea. Wouldn't it be great if we had a thousand dollars in the bank that we never touched? And this seemed like such a radical idea at the time. And so, but we put that down and then we came up with this mantra of that we always have enough to do everything we want to do. And then we caught ourselves with that enough idea. And we said, Mm -hmm. we always have plenty of money to do everything we want to do. And so that became the money mantra of our lives and still is. Um, But here's the other thing that happened. We manifested that $1,000 rather quickly, and it was quicker than we could have ever imagined. And so we sat down and said, well, wait a minute, maybe this stuff actually works. Let's put an intention on having $10,000 in that account that we never touch. And so roll the clock forward a little, maybe a year or so, suddenly we've got $10,000 that we're not touching. And life is beginning to kind of fall all over itself to organize itself into place. And so 
it's like I have in uh, uh, one of my books, At the Speed of Life, uh, um, a great quotation from the writer Franz Kafka. He says, basically, be still and wait. The universe will roll in ecstasy at your feet. You know, instead of pushing, pushing, pushing all the time, sit back and be receptive. Make sure your receiver is as big as your pusher. That's a big one. Yeah, it's a huge one. As a a matter of fact, it's the subject of my next book, which will be out in the spring of 2020. And I hope I can come back. Yeah, well, um, it's a big one. It's something that I've been working on. It's the sort of the big sequel to The Big Leap. And um, it's, um, it's called Conscious Luck. And it's mm. eight, eight pathways to creating good fortune in your life. And a couple of them, I promise you, are things that you've never thought of in a million years. So I really am eager to come back and talk to you about it when the book comes out. Of course, I can't wait. And I think that idea of receiving, it's big right now. And it's, 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 to me, it always keeps going back to this balance. And whenever I'm out of balance, whenever I'm not feeling enough, or whenever I'm feeling like I'm giving too much or receiving too much, it just has to be a balance. But it's funny, like you said, that the most important things are the can be communicated in under 10 seconds because for me, it was just, I have plenty. That was it. Mm -hmm. And I do have plenty. I have a great apartment in San Francisco. I have a great husband. We have a car. We have healthy food. We have a roof over our head. I love my clients. I love my job. So, you know, it was this question of that it kept coming up for me, like what would enough actually look like? And that's a really hard question to answer versus I have plenty and I'm a go-getter. I'm a motivated, inspired, passionate person. So I'm always going to keep working hard and I'm always going to try and be better than I was the day before. And I like the way you say it, more expansive, making more room. Um, But yeah, it just, it was such a simple thought. And I, what I love about a lot of what you talk about is these realizations actually came up for you early on in your marriage, early on in your career. And it's what's carried you through. And it's really powerful to see because I've, I've been married one year. So I'm sort of in a similar place to where you were at in 1981. I've had a successful business for a few years now. Nothing major has happened. My clients are famous. Things are going well. I love what I do. My marriage is happy and I always want to be growing and we have our struggles and and all of these things, which is sort of what I wanted to wrap up with. Um, But just to finish that thought is to see these these sort of um, the mantras in action, the methods in action that you came up with 30 years ago and how it's kind of created this life for you. I mean, I would, what the kids say these days, um, I would say you and Katie are what we call couple goals. (laughs) Um, and my, my question that I wanted to end on was one, um, what is your biggest advice working with your partner? I've heard you say something really cool that um, the boardroom isn't much different from the bedroom. Yes. And I took that very seriously because my part, my business partner is my husband and it's not always easy. And it seems like you guys just have this very beautiful respect for one another. Um, the way you talk about each other is I mean, I I don't know how you do it all the time. And as somebody early on in my business and in my marriage, I just wanted to know like what your biggest advice or simplest advice, I guess, would be um, for the millennials kind of listening. Yes. Well, 
three things. If you're going to do three things, if you can do three things in a relationship, that relationship will flourish. And the three things are feel all your feelings, number one, tell all the truth, number two, and three, keep all your agreements. Hmm. So be very scrupulous about being self-aware. Always be in a growing state, learning more about your emotions. And there are only three emotions that play a huge role in relationship problems, and that's anger, fear, and sadness. And so get a good conversation going, knowing when you're feeling scared, knowing when you're feeling sad. So that's number one. Feel all your feelings. And out of that will come a type of happiness and an openness to love that's like nothing else because you're, you're not resisting your other emotions. So the more you can open to feelings like anger, fear, and sadness, the more you can love, the more you can love yourself for those. And the first step in loving another person is to love yourself because you will always manifest another person who loves themselves to the extent that you love yourself. And so you'll see reflected in your partner the places where you don't love yourself. Uh, so number one, feel all your feelings. Number two, it's going to be hard sometimes to do this, but tell all the truth. Get good at saying, oh, I'm scared right now, or I feel angry, or oh, I feel so sad. Get good at the simple statements that convey how you are inside to another person, because so many of us have been you know, beaten up on in various ways growing up, not physically often, but, or always, but, uh, you know, we've been, had our feelings beaten up on from uh, early on in life. And it takes time to let them flourish again and let, let ourselves be known. Cause I know I grew up with the intention of concealing my feelings. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until I started getting into relationships when I was a teenager that, uh, you know, girls kept telling me, you never, you never can tell me what's going on inside you. And I, I, I just couldn't understand what they were getting at. And, but now I know exactly what they were getting at. And so that's number two, tell all the truth. The third thing, really important to do what you say you're going to do and not do what you say you're not going to do, keeping your agreements. So many people, I've had people come in here from around the world. You know, we get people that'll fly all the way in from somewhere, Saudi Arabia or Switzerland or someplace to do a couples intensive here for a day or two. And so many times a problem has been going on for 30 or 40 years sometimes that wow. got down originally to somebody didn't keep a particular agreement, didn't keep a promise, didn't do what they said they were going to do, and they never cleaned it up. And so things like that really fester. So feel your feelings, tell the truth, keep your agreements. That's the entry gate to intimacy. Mic drop, as they say. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I mean, I, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you truly are one of my heroes and somebody that I like, it's one of those things like, what would gay say about this? Or what would gay write about this? Or um, it, it, you play a huge part in my life. And I know so many people's lives. So thank you for 
you know, staying so true and authentic to who you are and really walking the talk, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, and you make it look very easy and effortless. So I just appreciate your words, your books. I'm so happy there's more coming. I would love to talk to you again. Um, the podcast is growing every week. Um, speaking of zone of genius, it's actually my absolute favorite thing to do is do this podcast and connect with other people. So I'm going to be putting more and more energy into this. Um, so in the meantime, how, what do we do? Can we pre-order the book? Do we just wait? Should we read your other books? What's the call to action here? Okay, great. Well, you can pre-order Conscious Luck, I believe, on the regular sites where you do that kind of thing. Awesome. Um, and uh, also, uh, you can go to Hendrix.com anytime and find out what we're doing um, in our uh, the business side of things with seminars and everything, or you can go to foundationforconsciousliving.com to find out what we're doing with our nonprofit foundation, which is some really cool stuff. Awesome. 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 I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. I, I can't tell you enough. Um, this was a big deal uh, in my little career. Um, this was a moment. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone listening, obviously, you know how grateful I am for you. And until next time, keep growing. 